Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading we heard in the Gospel of John. We begin today with a word of prayer. Almighty God, it is your gracious heart that gives us salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your mercy wherein you do not give us what we deserve, but you grant us life and salvation. Forgive us for our sins, O Lord, and help us in faith always to look upon your Son, Jesus, for our salvation. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we are hearing really one of the most popular verses, probably the most popular verse in all of scriptures, and I'm sure you know it well. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. It's a wonderful verse. I mean, it is a, I want to say like it's a breathtaking verse, but actually it's, it's quite the opposite. It is a breath-giving verse. This is the sort of verse from Scripture that breathes life into our lungs and pours joy into our hearts and helps us celebrate the fact that we have a God who is gracious to us and loves us. It makes all the sense in the world that this is one of the most popular verses in the Bible. It is an incredible and joyful verse which our God has given to us as a very precious gift. But here's the thing. Because we know this verse so well and we've learned this verse so often, we've become very familiar with it and familiarity tends to breed contempt. We've heard this verse so many times that perhaps we've begun to miss, oh, shall we say, the real um, bite (laughs) of the passage. So it's going to be helpful for us today to revisit this verse, and not just this verse, but really the whole context of what's going on around this verse, so we might begin to think a little more deeply and a little more faithfully about what it is that God is actually saying to us in this passage. And Now, St. John writes this passage for us, and what he's giving us here is really kind of a sermon based off of an Old Testament story, an Old Testament account, one that Jesus revisits today and one that Pastor Matt just read a few moments ago. It's that sort of obscure account where where Moses has to lift up a bronze serpent on a staff so that when people looked upon it, they would be cured from having been poisoned by fiery serpents. Jesus preaches about it this way when he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, in case... Uh, you were sleeping through the Old Testament account, or perhaps uh, you just fast-forwarded to this point in the service, and shame on you for doing that. Uh, We're going to revisit the account here today so that we're reminded exactly what Jesus is talking about. It is a weird story. It's kind of a story that's a little bit unsettling for us. If you go to Numbers chapter 21 and you start at the beginning of the chapter, you find there that God is being very gracious to Israel. In fact, he's just helped them defeat some of their enemies and they've just received a victory from God. But as they're wandering through the wilderness there, and they're wandering now and there's 40 years in the wilderness, uh, they become upset with God. They begin to grumble towards him. They're angry at God and they're angry at Moses because they're tired and they have been going for so long and they're hungry and the water around them is not good and they're just so tired. They don't want to wander. They're longing for home. And so they complain. They grumble. 
They turn on Moses. They turn on God. They begin to reject God and they begin to reject all that God has done for them. Now, when you reject God, when you leave the presence of God, this ends up resulting in the wrath of God. To leave God's gracious presence is to enter his wrathful presence. And at this point, God's wrath comes to Israel in the form of snakes, fiery serpents, poisonous snakes, which, which crept into the camp and began uh, into the camp of the wandering Israelites and began biting them and poisoning them. Many of the Israelites died, more suffered. And it was only then, upon this death and upon this suffering, it was only then when they recognized the consequence or the wages of their sin that they turned to God, that they recognized their need for mercy, that they recognized that they needed freedom from these snakes. So they cry out to God for help. And now God, whose mercy always triumphs over his justice, heard their cries and commands Moses to do something rather strange. He says, all right, Moses, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take a serpent. You're going to make a bronze serpent. And you're going to lift it up on a pole. And then, when you have that bronze serpent lifted up on the pole, if somebody is bitten by one of these snakes, all they have to do is look at that serpent that has been raised up in their midst, and that will bring them healing. Looking at the serpent's going to save them. It will bring them salvation. It will undo the effects of the serpent's, uh, the serpent's bite. It will undo the effect of the wages and consequence of their sin. So God gives this tangible uh, uh, bronze serpent and he attaches his promise to it and his word that this bronze serpent looking upon it, trusting that word, is going to bring life. And that's, that's kind of weird, right? Like God taking an image of the thing that brought wrath and using that to give mercy. I mean, I can just imagine the Israelites are like, I do not want to see another snake as long as I live. And Moses is like, listen, I've got a way to be healed from the snakes. You have to look at another snake. They're like, no, no, we're tired of looking at snakes. And yet, it was that snake exalted on the bronze staff that brought healing, life, and salvation. It was simply a matter of the Israelites looking upon that which was, which was lifted up in their midst. Receiving that gift and trusting that promise, and that granted them their salvation. Now, I mentioned a moment ago, this is sort of an unsettling passage for us, but I have a feeling that it's unsettling for us for the wrong reasons. Like, like I have a theory that many of us are shocked by what we hear in this passage, but we're shocked over the wrong thing. Because I imagine many of you heard this passage today, and you were bothered by the fact not that Israel grumbled and complained, not the fact that, by the fact that Israel was upset and sinful, but you were bothered by the fact that God was angry and sent snakes to attack the people. You were thinking to yourself, but those poor hungry people, how could God be so mean to them? They were simply victims of their circumstances. They had needs. They were suffering. Wandering in the wilderness is hard. Couldn't God have shown them some kindness? Couldn't he have fed them and given into their desires and served them? How is this fair? How is this loving? I'm not very comfortable with this God who does things with wrath. But the reason I think, if that came across your mind, the reason I think we tend to think that way is because we have an entirely too low view 
of sin. You have to remember exactly why the Israelites are where they are. God had rescued them from Egypt. He had redeemed them from slavery. He had brought them into the wilderness and promised to give them a beautiful land to dwell in. But they were wandering for 40 years because they rejected the gift of that promised land. Further, God was feeding them daily. They would wake up and there was bread. They did no work for it. They would simply wake up in the morning and God had done all the work, all the baking, all the preparing, had everything out in the field just laid out for them. And they were complaining because there weren't enough cucumbers and they didn't like the flavor. God had done everything for Israel to give them life and salvation. And all they did was reject him, critique him, and despise him. St. John writes today, they love the darkness rather than the light. Quite honestly, the more you think about this, the more you examine the way God treats Israel, you begin to realize that his wrath and his judgment is not all that shocking at all. His wrath, his judgment towards sinners really makes sense to us because we are a people who are wired for judgment. I mean, we all claim that we want God to be merciful and we want that mercy to come to us and, and we want that mercy to come towards those we love. But when it comes to those who we don't like, who oppose us, when it comes to those who sin beyond our level of comfort, when it comes to those who provoke us to anger, when it comes to those who are ruining our way of life or ruining our church or ruining our country, well, we hope God gives them what they deserve. We don't want what we deserve. We want mercy. But for others who we dislike, for them we want justice. This is simply because you and I fail to understand that every morning when we wake up, we deserve to have a fiery snake waiting for us underneath our bed. We all deserve nothing but punishment for our sin. I mean, I think you would be shocked today if I said something like this. It's hard to believe this at times. And it's hard to believe that God would be wrathful towards sin. But that is just sort of like a, a, a product of the day and age we live in. Because I'll be honest, if I were to say to you something like this this morning, it would shock you and upset you. If I were to say something like this, God has sent the pandemic to our country to punish our nation for its sins. Now that probably would upset you if I said it. Good thing I'm not going to say it, right? Uh, it might upset you if I said that. Now I actually don't know if that's true or not god's not given us any word from heaven saying i'm going to send a pandemic for these reasons so it's, it's there's there can be really no factual basis in me saying that apart from the fact that our sins have wrecked this creation and and now we're suffering the consequences of it but why would that bother you if i said it why would you be worried if i said this that god was punishing our nation i mean i'm not saying that's exactly what's happening but here's the thing guys if he is it's still less than what we deserve from him if we even had an inkling of the depth of our sin and how no one deserves mercy, mercy, wrath and punishment wouldn't shock us at all. Paul gets at it today in the reading from Ephesians. We are all born children of wrath, born unbelievers, condemned already, as John says, bitten by the satanic snake and dying from our sin. Judgment, wrath, and punishment should not surprise us at all. And if it does surprise you, you are shocked by the wrong thing. See, the truly shocking thing, the really surprising thing today, 
is not that God would send snakes to punish people. It's not that God would send anything to punish people. But it's these words that are spoken to a world full of grumbling, whining, rebellious, violent sinners. Words spoken to you and to me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. That one again. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That surprises. I mean, the really surprising, remarkable part of the account there in Numbers is not that God is angry at the Israelites, but that God graciously hears their prayers and their cries and sends them salvation, salvation for free. He doesn't even demand anything from them. He simply gives them the gift of a serpent and says, look at that, and everything's going to be taken care of. Because, you see, God does not desire the death of a sinner. That we would turn, that we would repent, that we would look upon the bronze serpent, that we would receive the gifts and trust his promises. See, the really shocking thing is that God is not driven by wrath, but he allows his love to drive his actions. And so the Father sends the Son into the world out of love because he loves you. The Son comes into the world because he loves the Father and he loves you. And the Son comes then to, and chooses to die for your sins so that you would not be punished for eternity, that you would not be condemned, but so that you would be saved. And you and I who are inflicted with sin and are experiencing death and the attacks of the evil one and even suffering with the wrath of God all around us, we have been, we have been given a greater hope than a Jesus Christ who is lifted up on a cross He calls us to fix our eyes upon him for our salvation. There on that cross, as the righteous Son of God is crucified, we see both the wages of our sin and the mercy of God. There at the cross, we have the place of wrath that pours out mercy on those who don't deserve it. Our sin brings death, but the crucified one, the Lord Jesus Christ, gives forgiveness, life, and salvation. God has set Jesus on this cross, and he's done it for you. So that you recognize there is nothing more you need to do but turn and look at that lifted serpent, Jesus Christ, and trust the promise attached to the cross that he's dying to forgive you for your sins. See, that's the surprise. That's the shocking and incredible news that God has not sent you fiery serpents, but his one and only Son, not to condemn you, but to save you. Christ came not to cast judgment, so that you hear the final verdict from God, that your sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. Look upon the cross. Be washed in his blood. Take and eat his body. Take and drink his blood. And trust this Jesus Christ lifted up on the cross for you for the forgiveness of your sins and realize that there on that cross God so loved you that he sent his one and only son so that you who believe in him will not perish but will have eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. 
Almighty God, your mercy is beyond compare. And Lord, we cannot truly comprehend the depths of your love and your grace for us. Teach us, O Lord, to repent and help us to rejoice in the forgiveness that we have through your Son, who you loved enough to send into the world to save us. For you love us in him. Now grant us your grace and guide us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.